Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, and I'm here in Colorado as always. But in just a few days, I'm not going to be in Colorado. And for the first time since before COVID, I'm hopping a plane uh, over to Europe to uh, catch the first few stages of the Tour de France in uh, Copenhagen. And I am excited. I'm excited for a lot of reasons. I mean, one is just to be on a plane going somewhere again. That's the, the biggest excitement. But uh, more than that, you know, one of the things that I love to do at the tour every year is geek out over the new gear. And, you know, Envy has been a presence at the tour in the past. Uh, this year, they do not have a world tour team, but uh, their technology has really pushed things forward. Uh, with with bicycle technology in general, uh, wheel technology, even at the highest levels, even at the world tour levels. And just very recently, they revamped their very uh, popular SES uh, lineup of wheels. And I wanted it. There's just so much going on there. It's, they're, they're supposed to be faster. They're supposed to be lighter. They're supposed to be uh, all these things. And I wanted to get a, a sense of what all these means for the end consumer, you and me. Will it make me go faster? Will it make my ride more comfortable? What are the actual practical things that I will notice when I hop on these wheels? And I think this conversation applies to really any wheel set that you're considering buying these days. So uh, on the line, I have from Envy, uh, Jake Pantone. Jake, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. And Jake, what's your what's your official title over there at Envy these days? Yeah, so uh, my official title is Vice President of Product and Brand. So that basically means I manage the product pipeline and our brand and marketing team. Uh, I just consider you like product guru guy who goes really fast on a bike. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Better. Yeah, but that probably doesn't fit on the business card. Like but uh, <laughs> um, You know, Jake, you and I have talked a lot about technology over the years and wheel technology, and Envy is very much at the pointy end of that development. Um, and the SES wheels have been in the lineup uh, the NV world for a while now, but they just kind of got a revamp. Could you kind of walk me through what has changed about the SES wheels this year? Yeah, absolutely. So correct. About a month ago now we introduced our all new smart NV system line of wheels and our objectives for the project were um, maybe on the surface, not so groundbreaking and innovative as maybe some people were kind of hoping or expecting. Um, but I think I can explain a lot of sort of why and, and people will understand what the what the lineup 
um, is all about. And you know, one of the first, um, I think, main takeaways or um, things for people to kind of contemplate and understand is that we've been sort of at the front or leading edge of aero wheel innovation and development for quite some time. And a lot of the current wheel models that we had sort of in the last line were um, were still very relevant in the market today. Uh, a lot of what this launch was, was really about simplifying the lineup, um, aligning it more to the needs or the definitions of sort of what modern road riding and road racing is today. Over the years, we've, we've refined a lot of the the philosophy between some behind some of our carbon laminates, meaning like as we've developed um, new carbon rim laminates for gravel and some mountain laminates and then additional wheels in the SES, we, we've just learned that, you know, there's some things we could do differently to make the carbon rim structure itself more efficient, lighter, um, and without sort of sacrificing the foundational uh, requirements of an Envy wheel set, which are, you know, durability and a certain stiffness ride quality kind of feature. So the new lineup is essentially simplified. So if we start there, um, we went in the previous line, we had basically six wheel models and they were kind of split or divided between what we called standard SES, um, which had hooked beads and they, that was basically the 3.4, the 5.6 and the 7.8. Um, and then when we also had a kind of what we called our legacy 4.5, which was a, um, a hooked bead rim that was, you know, basically the original 4.5. And then we had our AR line of wheels, which consisted of two wheels, the 3.4 AR and the 4.5 AR. So that SES wheel line was basically a 21 millimeter, 20 to 21 millimeter internal, or you should say 19 to 21 millimeter internal rim widths. And then the AR line is 25 millimeter internal rim width. And those AR wheels, the original 4.5 AR was launched back in 2016. Um, the standard SES, as we used to call it, um, was sort of those models of wheels between rim brake and disc brake basically launched over the span of like three years between 2015 and 2017, 18. Um, and so effectively we had a lot of crossover, but more than anything, we've, um, we've seen a lot of progress and advancement in road with tubeless. Um, consumers becoming more educated, understanding the technology better, being more proficient with it, and then advancements in tire construction and manufacturing as well have made tubeless even more friendly. People are now running higher tire volumes, and so we're seeing pretty much a massive migration away from anything smaller than 28 measured sort of tire. So we have like our 27 millimeter tire and, you know, Specialized has a 26, but like 25 millimeter tires as labeled are pretty much on their way out um, for the vast, vast majority of, of riders out there. And for a good reason, outside of, you know, world tour racing with super light racers, there's really very little justification for anybody to be running um, that smaller tire volume. And so as we looked at the lineup, we, we said like, hey, there is this like divi dividing line between these sort of narrow um, hooked bead tubeless sort of compatible road wheels. And then we have this very hookless purpose built AR line. And with this new lineup, we wanted to say like, hey, if we were starting the wheel lineup all over again, um, not just iterating on sort of previous models, like what would we keep? What would we introduce a new? And so what we came up with is a simplified wheel line that comes down to four models and each model is very purpose-built for an intended application and so 
we introduced an all new wheel model called the 2.3. Um, it had been some years since we had a shallow climbing wheel. We did have a wheel called the 2.2 a few years back. It was a rim brake only wheel. It was a clincher and a tubular. Um, it had, you know, it was it was a good wheel, but it was you know it wasn't the best SES wheel ever. It was it wasn't super light. Um, was the first problem for the wheel of that depth. It was almost the same weight. Uh, it was is nearly the same weight as the uh, 3.4, um, and so that was kind of its challenge. It was just because of the shape and the depth of it, in order to get the structure and the the heat management and all that stuff aligned to where it was durable and reliable, it ended up just having a certain weight to it to achieve that uh, that uh, performance level in terms of the braking heat management. And so that wheel was it was good, but it was never really like checking off the box. Um, in terms of being like this ultimate lightweight climbing wheel. Um, and it was really, I think most people found, and we would agree with them, that the 3.4 was just a better choice. It was slightly heavier, but the aero, advance, or the aero, adva aero advantage that that wheel gave you was just uh, a much better uh, choice in terms of performance. And so we wanted to revisit the lightweight climbing wheel. And so we, that was actually the first project, and it started about two years ago, was to develop an all-new SES climbing wheel. And so the 2.3 is a new wheel in the line. Um, it's a very light wheel. It, uh, the goal was to make it sub 1,200 grams, which we succeeded at doing. Uh, you know, that, um, that puts it in line and in most cases lighter than anything else on the market that is a, a carbon clincher. Um, and by clincher, I mean it's a hookless, tubeless only disc brake rim. Um, so it's the lightest rim we've ever produced, and uh, we're we're really excited about it. It's it's a very nice riding wheel, and it it does fill that void that we've had in the SES line of of needing a super light, um, purpose built wheel for the mountains. Um, and so that wheel is a 28 millimeter front depth, a 32 millimeter rear, and like I said, the the wheel set comes in at just under 1,200 grams, which which is awesome. All of the new SES wheels feature this uh, technology we call wide hookless bead, and so across all four wheel across all four wheels, there's um, they're all hookless, they're all tubeless compatible, they're all disc brake only, and they have this feature at the leading edge of the rim we call wide hookless bead. And that feature is basically um, tuned to the application of the or the intended application of the wheel. So for a climbing wheel, you know, pinch flat resistance isn't nearly as critical as it is for a wheel like the 3.4, which we intend to see some mixed surface use. Um, and so the leading edge, for example, on the 2.3 is say I think it's 1.8 or around two millimeters. And for wheel like the 3.4, we go up to, I think it's almost four millimeters. Um, but so there's the 2.3, then we go, oh, and that wheel is a 21 millimeter internal. So the reason we stuck with 21 millimeter internal on that 2.3 was again, the main objective of that wheel was super lightweight. And we believe a customer or a customer or consumer looking for the ultimate sort of climbing mountains bike um, is still looking at some of those smaller tire volumes. So in our case, you know, in inside Envy, we're going to be running our 27 millimeter tire for the most part. Um, some will still choose to run 25s. But again, uh, acknowledging that people are going to want to run those smaller tires to keep the weight down. And for climbing, that's that's a good option there 
to keep the rim width around 21. In addition, uh, the quickest way to add weight to our rims at least is to add width to them. Uh, that tire bed or that rim structure in the tire bed is is the thickest sort of part of the rim and so adding width to that quickly um, brings the weight up and so we kept the width at 21 millimeters on the internal or internal width for that 2.3. Um, from there we go to the 3.4 and the 4.5 which effectively are the same rims roughly as what the previous generation 4.5 and 3.4 AR will. So both of those wheels feature a 25 millimeter internal. They both have a more aggressive wide hookless bead. Um, uh, the, they both got slightly wider uh, in terms of their outside dimensions. I mean, millimeter here or there, basically. <laughs> not, a, not a huge growth in terms of the external widths, but they did grow slightly in terms of their external rim shapes. Uh, those wheels are the bread and butter in the MV line, obviously. Um, and the 3.4 offers that sort of shallowish mid-depth arrow wheel. Uh, I call it a shallow wheel. Uh, I, you know, it, it's that kind of mid It's kind of hard to call the mid-depth in the world of arrow wheels because, you know, the wheels get as much as 80 or so deep. But um, that 3.4 is kind of that balanced wheel uh, where you get some arrow advantage. You still keep the weight quite low. Um, but more than anything, I think it really strikes a chord with our customers looking for one wheel set to do it all. Um, I don't like using the word quiver killer because, you know, it's, it's all very subjective. But uh, it is that sort of wheel where it's, it's equally happy in a criterion as it is at Belgian Waffle Ride doing mixed surface riding. Um, the weight's favorable for climbing, but the aerodynamic performance is, is good enough to keep you happy in a road race. Um, so the 3.4 continues in the line. Uh, again, that's a 25 millimeter internal, and basically we've just dropped the AR naming and nomenclature. So again, we're simplifying the line. It's now just NV, Smart NV System, SES wheel line, however you want to refer to it. And it's those these four wheel models of a 2.3, a 3.4, the 4.5, and a 6.7. Um, as we go to the 4.5, this is frankly the wheel that everybody should be on, <laughs> in my opinion, if you're considering balanced performance. Like if you want to maximize error performance, um, we've cut quite a bit of weight out of both the the 3.4 we shed some weight, but the 4.5 we cut the most weight out of because it was the first it was the oldest wheel in the line. So as we progressively had improved the wheels and launched them over time, um, the 4.5 was effectively the oldest wheel in the line. And so it saw the biggest changes in terms of its carbon laminate. And so the new 4.5 is um, quite a bit lighter. And in the development of, the, of these new SES wheels, it was the first time that we'd had new rim shapes to develop with the NVSES tire. Um, and we launched this tire a year ago, year and a half ago, and we have one that's a 27 uh, millimeter tire. And the 4.5 with that 27 millimeter tire achieves like 95%, if not 98%, it's more like 98% of the aero advantage that you get out of the deeper wheel, the 6.7. And so that was kind of a very roundabout way of getting to the point, which is when I said, I think everybody really should consider the 4.5 if performance is their 
or sort of balanced, versatile performance for road racing is their number one priority. Like the 4.5 is really the wheel to look at. And then we also introduced another new rim. Um, I shouldn't really say new. Those that have been with Envy or followed us for a long time are familiar that with the original SES line, we had a 6.7 in that line. And so in this new line of wheels, we bring back the 6.7. And really the goal, if we were to put it down to very objective measures, it was we want to find how shallow can we, what's the shallowest we can make an aero wheel without giving up any aerodynamics, um, but maximizing sort of the stability. So like we, with our, so we have a 7.8 and that wheel remains in the line. It is technically a faster wheel still if you pair it with a 25 millimeter tire. The 6.7 is developed to around our 27 millimeter tire. So it, we recommend that that's what people run. Um, And with a 27 millimeter tire on the 6.7, it basically matches equally the performance of the 7.8. So basically what we're getting is we're getting the same aero drag reduction, aero efficiency out of a shallower wheel that we get out of a 7.8, which is quite a bit deeper. Again, so the 7.8, fantastic wheel. Uh, It's close to 1,600 grams, that wheel, based on the depth. It's a 70, uh, 6.7, is a 71 millimeter front depth and a 79 or 78 millimeter rear. Um, The new 6.7 is 60 by 67. Um, and the rim weight is four is sub 1500 grams. So it's only 50 grams heavier than the 4.5. We're very excited about the 6.7. If you're a triathlete, if you're um, just a guy that wants to maximize the aerodynamics, hundred, you know, like to, to maximum efficiency, uh, the 6.7 is a great will for either a road or a triathlon bike. Because the depth is shallower, you do get that added stability that comes with just having less depth in general. Um, but again, this wheel was all about sort of optimizing all those points of diminishing returns, like how shallow can we make it without sacrificing aerodynamics? Um, we want to maximize the stability. We want to maximize the weight savings. And this 6.7 is basically the result of that effort. So it is dispelling a little bit the myth that, that deeper is always faster. Yeah. And I think that's one of the special things about the smart Envy system that's really allowed it to be as, as successful as it is, is the wheels are different shapes, front to back and depths. Um, the very early, the early iterations of Smart Envy System wheels were also different widths, front to back. Um, what we found that as tire volumes increased over the years, that that width differential in sort of the inner rim width has become less of a less important because of the additional tire volume and what that does to tire shapes and how they interact in the air. So we've kind of done a we've done away with different widths. Um, in a rim widths front to back, but the shape of the rim itself is something that's changed more drastically than the first generation. So if somebody was to be looking at the cross section and cross sections of these new smart Envy system wheels, you'll notice that the front wheel rim shape has a more rounded bulbous sort of profile where the rear is comes through a little bit more of an acute point. And we're really looking at the flow airflow at the different spots on the bike. So the fr- air that flows over the front of the bike is very different than the back of the bike. And so we're designing the rim shapes to sort of capture the airflow at both of those locations on the bike. We're, we're playing a, we're playing marginal games gain here. This is a competition for one watt. Um, you know, the days of finding five watts in a wheel set between competitors are, are no longer the, the arrow wheel discussion is very nuanced at this point. 
tires make a huge difference. Rolling resistance can make all the difference in the world when you're talking about saving watts. And that's part of our story is like, hey, you know, the, having a different rim shape front to back absolutely matters. And, and you're seeing that with some of our competitors now too, um, who are releasing different rim shapes front to back. And it's because if you're really trying to like maximize the ride quality and the stability, you really need that that front wheel should be a different shape than the rear wheel. And if you want to maintain the aero sort of efficiency or eke every quarter of a watt, half of a watt out of the wheel, um, you need to be doing different wheels front to back. Um, then you get to the tire itself and, you know, a rim shape is great, but if you're running a tire that's slow, I mean, there's deltas and tires, like you're talking, you could be losing 10 to 20 watts just based on your tire choice and your tire pressure selection for the road. And so, uh, you know, we don't really, I mean, aer aerodynamics is super important and we still invest a lot of time and energy into it. We are investing a lot of time and energy into tire construction, air pressure, rolling resistance, and that interface and interaction as well. Um, because it, you really have to look at your will holistically. Um, it all matters in it. And frankly, like, you can have the fastest rim in the world, but if you get your air pressure and tire wrong, um, you'd probably be better off running a not not aero wheel at all, <laughs> like a completely box section rim, but getting your tire pressure and your in your tire right. I mean, I'm, that's an extreme, obviously, but that's how much it matters um, in this world of you know nuanced aerodynamics. Hello, I've just popped on to say if you're enjoying this Ruler Tech podcast, you can also check out the Ruler Conversations podcast with me, Ian Parkinson, every other week. More importantly, go and subscribe to the magazine for the best in independent cycling journalism, columns from Orla Shenoy and Ned Bolting, brilliant photographs and innovative design. Go to ruler.cc to take out a subscription now. Back to Dan. One concept that has cropped up within the last few years that has sort of uh, polarized a lot of new buyers is uh, hooked versus hookless. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are quick to say uh, hookless is bad, but they don't really know why. Um, and, you know, I think with, with, the, with the development of uh, better tubeless tires, it actually, the distinction is not all that much, it's not all that significant anymore. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, Hooked versus hookless is and why Envy has uh, gone hookless. I mean, I really do love talking about this because I think there's just so much to unpack here and there's so much misunderstanding that really is unnecessary. But I totally understand and I'm totally empathetic to like, because I I was there at one point too, you know, many years ago, but like the, this idea of hookless just seems terrifying. In the 70s, it was pretty much typical that you, if you were to buy a bicycle, um, the rims that were going to be on that bicycle probably still were probably hookless rims. They weren't necessarily tubeless, but they were hookless. And those tires on those rims would generally have a steel or a wire steel bead. That was great. And they were hookless. And the reason those tires stayed on those rims was because the tires had a wire bead, which could not stretch. And that tire would not come off the rim from stretching off. We being the innovative industry that we are, and, and around the same time, magic Kevlar was introduced into the world, this super material that was super strong and it didn't stretch. And we in the cycling industry had the light bulb go off and say, hey, this might be a damn good material for a tire bead and we could save a ton of weight. And so 
you know, by sometimes in, sometime in the 70s, we started manufacturing f the folding tire. And we were able to start taking massive amounts of weight out of tires. And the downside is that Kevlar can still uh, creep, we call it, which means it can still stretch, especially if it's heated. And or if you don't use enough of it, it can still stretch. So there's a certain number of winds we would call it in tire manufacturing but there's a certain number or thickness of or amount of Kevlar strands that would be in a bead and we kept reducing that number of strands to sort of get tires as light as possible and somewhere in that process we realized hey in order to keep tires on the rim so we can make tires as light as possible we need a fell safe we need something to contain or retain that that light tire bead and hey if we put this hook bead here we put this hook in the rim that will allow the tire to stretch all at once, but then it gets captured and cannot come off the rim. And so any of you that have been in cycling long enough, remember the days of doing tubes and lightweight folding tires where you have to kind of be caref careful about did the tire seat evenly around the rim and you have the witness line and, and you could, if you weren't careful, you could easily like blow your tire off the rim or the tube would pop out between the bead. And so like, this is all stuff we were all very used to, right? It was just part of like, putting a tire on a rim and changing a flat tire. And that was what we did for 30 years. And we got really good at it. And we got really used to it. And then mountain biking and dirt riding got big. And we said, hey, we should consider tubeless in mountain biking because it would be awesome. Like we don't have to pinch flat tubes anymore. And we get thorns in our tires. We have this, we probably put a sealant in them. And like, so we started making tubeless, long story short, tubeless was adopted rapidly and the technology became real and it, was brought back to mountain biking basically a decade before uh, road tubeless has caught on as it has today. And so it worked great in mountain biking. The beads were thicker, the tires were heavier, weight wasn't quite as much of a concern. And so um, we, we solved a lot of those problems in mountain biking very quickly. We said, oh, we need more Kevlar on the beads and the pressures are lower. So we never really had to worry about that. But we did also try to introduce road tubeless again as well. Um, and it didn't work out for a number of reasons initially and mostly because tire volume was low you know if we think back to 2000 i'm talking about the time frame of around 2006 7 8 uh we were still running 25 millimeter tires or 23 millimeter tires i should say trying to inflate and do tubeless with a 23 millimeter tire and now we're talking pressures of 100 to 120 psi um, there's a lot of reasons why tubeless for road didn't work the first time so fast forward to today we're making hookless rims. Um, we started our first hookless rim rims came out in 2014 with our second or third generation M series launch. And that was the first area where we said, Hey, the hook bead needs to go. It's compromising how we construct a rim. It's, it's less efficient in manufacturing and it doesn't have any sort of place in tubeless. And I probably should touch on that as well. So a hooked bead does not serve any purpose in a true tubeless design. The way tubeless works, and it's hard without pictures, but you know, everybody can think about the what the inside of your rim looks like. You've got the very center, we call that the drop center. That's the that's the smallest circumference on the rim. That channel exists so you can put the tire on the rim. Um, then it steps up and there's usually a bump, little hump, that's your bead lock, and then it goes to a shoulder. That shoulder is the surface upon which your tire should seal. That is where the air lock happens, and that is the only place an air lock should happen. 
by removing the hook, there's two things that are allowed to us as a rim manufacturer. The biggest thing for us is it allows us to truly optimize a rim for a tubeless design. What that also requires is us saying to ourselves, we are 100% in and committed to tubeless. We believe in the technology, we believe in the performance it brings to cycling. And so we years ago said, look, any new rim we put out from here forward is going to be a tubeless optimized design. And that that is why NB rims at this point are all hookless. Um, how is that optimized? Well, a hooked bead from a manufacturing of carbon rim standpoints requires, or a hook bead required that we use a soft pliable material that can be removed from between those hooked beads once the rim is cured hard. So it, a hook bead essentially prevents you from using machined, super precise tooling to mold the rim. The hookless rims, we are allowed to, it allows us to machine the, the mold um, or the rings that make the, the rim channel, the tire channel on the rim where that, all those hookless feet or all those tubeless features are at. We can use hard metal tooling that's precision machined so that every rim comes out of a mold um, right at the 621.95 uh, ETRTO spec for a tubeless rims bead seat diameter. So that's the number one reason for hookless is that it gives you a very precise bead seat diameter upon which to mount your tire and seal the air chamber. What the challenge was, was for the tire manufacturer. A tire manufacturer has to make a tire that can be installed on a broad array of rims. And so this is why for so long the hooked bead needed to exist because some tire manufacturers were um, making bead, bead diameters that were larger, some smaller, some stretchier, some stiffer. And there was a lot of kind of, um, you know, subjective design going on that sort of just met the philosophy of what the tire and it's not to say it was it wasn't right, right or wrong it was just tire manufacturers have a philosophy around how they wanted customers to experience their tires on a broad range of rims um so this standard that came out in etrto in 2019 was a huge benefit for tire manufacturers because it finally gave them a target to say okay when we design a tire here forward we now have a target for road tubeless um, we now know that all the rim manufacturers are looking at this target of 621.95 millimeters. And this is what we can now aim for with our bead, with our tires bead diameters. And so today versus like in 2016, when we launched our 4.5 hour, that was hookless. Back then we had literally Schwalbe was making a pro one, a tubeless pro one in a 28 millimeter. And I think IRC had a 28 millimeter and those were two tires that we um, kind of developed that rim around. Fast forward to today, nearly every tire manufacturer has a tubeless compatible uh, 28 millimeter or larger road tire. Um, the one thing that we have been working with tire manufacturers on is specifically the bead stiffness. So uh, because there's still this lingering of like, what does the bead material need to be? How stiff does it need to be? What's the diameter of the rim need to be? And this is kind of where the hookless confusion over the last few years in terms of like, is it safe? Is it not? Comes to, and one of the things we've done as Envy uh, to try to help that is we, and knowing that this was like our sort of cross to bear is like the first, not the first, but 
well, I think it's weird at the time we were basically the only brand that had a hookless road rim. Um, we had to figure out what makes a tire safe for use with hookless or not. And so to do that, we developed a, a qualification test for tubeless tires um, to determine whether or not that tire would stay on the rim or not. And so we bought tires or acquired tires from tire manufacturers anywhere and everywhere we could, and we started developing testing for them. And so um, what that testing looks like is we effectively put a tire on a rim and so but let me back up. So we have a tire qualification test. If you developed a new tire today and you said, hey, Envy, I want to know if my tire is would be approved for use on your hookless road rims, we'd say, we'd love to test it. So you send us that tire. We're going to put it on a rim and we're going to inflate it to the max pressure of the rim or the tire, whatever's uh, lowest. And we're going to let it sit there and stretch for 24 hours at max at the max pressure. So if it was, say, our 4.5, that rim, we've identified a max pressure of 80 PSI for that rim. Um, so we would inflate that tire to 80 PSI, and we would let it sit on that rim uh, for 24 hours. After that 24-hour period, we keep it inflated at that max pressure. We measure the width. We measure the diameter. Um, we sort of do all this dimensional analysis on it. We then remove the tire from the rim. We measure the bead, the tire's bead diameter, both left and right sides. We then measure the stiffness of the beads, which has um, been a critical data point that I'll get to a little bit here in a second. So we measure the bead stiffness. That's, that's how much that bead is going to stretch or how much it can stretch. And then finally, we do a max inflation blow-off test where we put the rim, we put the tire back on a rim. Um, we inflate it to max PSI. Again, if it's a 4.5 example, we're going to say that's 80 PSI. And then we inflate that tire at intervals until it blows off the rim. Currently, we require that that tire achieve one and a half times the max pressure. So if it's an 80 PSI max pressure, that tire must hit 120 PSI before it comes off the rim. And if it comes off the rim at 118 PSI, it doesn't pass. If it comes off the rim at 121, we would call the pass. And so that's kind of been the standard. We say, okay, it has to at least achieve one and a half times the max PSI of whatever's lowest between tire and rim. Um, we're just we're just about out of time, actually, but <laughs> there's clearly a lot to talk about. Um, and I would say, if you're listening and want to learn a little bit more about um, the uh, the hooks versus hookless, Envy actually has a really great page on the website, which you can find envy.com slash journal slash tubeless dash misconceptions. Um, really good explainer here. Uh, if you've never seen kind of the difference between hooked and hookless um, and Jake, you know, I can talk all day about this stuff cause it's, you know, we can get deep, deep in the nerdery. Um, but we are just about out of time. And uh, Jake, if they have questions, listeners have questions for you, what's the best way to reach out to you or to envy? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, tubeless education is a huge thing for us. So we're constantly trying to put out articles and explainers like the one you just talked about. So people can look at our journal postings, um, you know, anytime they want to reach out directly to one of our uh, customer service writer experience representatives, they're welcome to do that via email or the phone call. And we're, we're happy to help talk people through any of their questions or concerns about tubeless. So that that's definitely a Good, good approach. Jake, thanks for your time and thanks for your expertise. It's clear you, <laughs> your passion for, for tubeless is pretty clear and I'd, I'd love to talk more about it with you. Um, if you're listening and you have questions about this podcast or any of the uh, Ruler Magazine tech podcasts, you can reach us at Ruler Magazine. You can also find me on Twitter at SlowGuyFastRide or on Instagram 
at slow guy on the fast ride. And I'm happy to pass along questions to Jake and pester everybody at envy as often as I can. <laughs> uh, Jake, thanks again for joining me today. And for all you listening, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the ruler magazine tech podcast. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.